This is Changeling the Podcast. Welcome to Changeling the Podcast. Come for the glamour, stay for the vibe. I'm your host, Josh, and with us is your other host, Puka. Say hi, Puka. Ahoy, ahoy. What are we talking about tonight, Puka? This evening, we are doing the third of three episodes on that weighty tome, Dreams and Nightmares. Well, maybe not that weighty, just dense. That dense tome, Dreams and Nightmares. And we'll be focusing on the deep dreaming, trods and freeholds. And we have a special guest, Charlie Cantrell, to help us discuss this book. So, hello, Charlie. Hello, hello. Welcome back. Thank you for having me back. <laughs> uh, so, Charlie, for people who haven't heard you previously on the podcast, your returning guest, um, do you want to give a little introduction about yourself? Well, let's see. I'm Charlie Cantrell. I um, have been role playing since the 90s. I got into professional RPG freelancing with C20. Uh, that was my first Changeling Dreamy 20th anniversary edition. That was my first professional RPG work, and I have stayed involved with Changeling the Dreaming professionally and not so professionally ever since. But uh, Changeling the Dreaming has always been one of my all-time favorite role-playing games, so I am very happy to be involved with it. Yay. Right on. So yeah, let's dive into the book now. When we last left off our adventurers, they were... Fighting off a band of red caps, or, or does somebody else want to summarize it, or should I summarize it? No, just go for it. Okay, I yeah. think I think you're off to a great start. <laughs> okay, yeah, they're fighting off a band of red caps. Now they've stolen the flying frog, dragon, demon things, and are currently up in the air for like a week. Maybe it's hard to tell time in the dreaming. They also lost another another one of their party members or their oyster pool or whatever. And, you know, after a week they land and there's a lot of like, everyone's remembering things and everyone looks different. And and then the little thing about how the chimera in the area are like kind of afraid of them all because of their banality. But also their power. Yes. And takes us into geography of the deep dreaming. It's like the far dreaming, but more. Yep. They kind of point out that the whole notion of geography is sort of a misnomer once you get this deep into the dreaming. But I liked that mm-hmm. it kind of described it as being in an endless cycle of change, sort of co-created with mortals who are dreaming. So that maybe it's difficult to actually storytell what that would be like, but I really like it conceptually. Mm-hmm. It fits into that cosmic scale kind of role playing. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I didn't remember, but I, I I rediscovered when I was preparing for for this, was how the deep dreaming has like certain stable spheres within it. Is the way I think it described mm-hmm. uh, almost almost worlds in and of themselves, with Arcadia and it it calling out Arcadia as one of them, and then these other spheres being only slightly lesser than Arcadia. And I just mm-hmm. did not remember that at all. Um, but I don't think that actually got brought up in the geography part of this chapter. No. <laughs> I think that was later on. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the other two, the, the near and far dreaming 
it, when mm-hmm. it talks about it, it's like talks about these things. Then it goes into more detail in the geography section. These are much less connected. I think there's a bit of overlap, but it's mm-hmm. a lot. There's a lot of things talked about in one, not in the other. Mm-hmm. So why don't we go through? Yeah, it talks about things like how you get into it. You go through the mist. There's very little of the silver path in the deep dreaming, which is which you find out later is because the silver path is infused with everything in the deep dreaming. <laughs> yeah, there, this is. Uh, I don't know if it was intentional. I, I'd say this is the least consistent chapter two of this book with yes. itself. <laughs> yes. It's like, are, are they are they just trying to be like that's what it's like in the deep dreaming? Because uh, uh... <laughs> even even from one paragraph uh, to another, which we'll get to in just a minute, yeah. my quote unquote favorite part of this chapter. <laughs> so. Josh, do you recall earlier in the book when we talked about how confusingly there was a note that changelings who die in the dreaming are gone forever, and yet in the prose story, there's a whole exchange about, oh, well, they're dead, but they're not really gone. So again, internal contradictions. And I think one of the characters even says, we ourselves watch the fires take their soul back to to the autumn realm. (laughs) They also do mention that part too earlier in the book, so the yeah. fire thing so uh-huh. books written by committee yep well interestingly this one's not even that big of a committee it was only only yeah. three people got a writing credit for it which mm-hmm. is way smaller than most books writing teams have these days mm-hmm. yeah so yeah we get into you know remembrance is now really intense so sometimes the feelings linger even if the memories don't and we get Arts and Realms in the Deep Dreaming, which reminds me a lot of Unleashing in C20. Mm-hmm. It's like had, your cantrips are now exactly Unleashing, what I basically. <laughs> I, I had the yeah. same thought, too. I, I don't think it was conscious on anyone's part uh, when we were developing C20, but uh, but it is yeah. neat, the parallels that happen. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the one difference is you can use bunks to make it more stable. Mm-hmm. I, keep, I keep going like, how would I incorporate this systematically, but... Uh, maybe that's the wrong way to think about the deep dreaming. I don't know. The augment gets ratcheted up to 11. Yeah, 11 out of 5. It's <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we're going into augment now? Well, well there's one th- it, before we get into like the details of the augment, it, it okay. also says like a statement that I just don't understand about it where it's like with the exception of the she, most changes are somewhat muted when employed against other kithane. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to mute like how many dice you get to strength? Like, how does that muted? So my interpretation of this has always been because everyone is going through the augment equally, they can still interact with each other normally. It's just outside observers or non-changeling observers, non-chimeric observers see this craziness that's happening because their brains just can't comprehend what's happening. Hmm. So it's about the behavior stuff and their actions, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they see this all this crazy stuff happening that's just completely impossible. But from the changeling's point of view, my interpretation is that things are fairly normal. I mean, sure, a troll might be lifting up a mountain and he couldn't in the autumn realm, but you know, you're in the deep dreaming, yeah. so that feels normal. Mm. Which which then brings me to my favorite part about this because it is it specifically calls out unenchanted mortals being the ones who are truly affected by this. And then in like a paragraph later, it specifically says that unenchanted mortals are forbidden from ever entering the deep dreaming. <laughs> <So. laughs> hmm. It also says that like mages 
are the one exception to the unenchanted mortals. Mm-hmm. Mages can come into the Dreaming, but they lose all of their magic. Unless they do something in the heart of Arcadia. Yes. <laughs> yes! <laughs> yep. And that's as detailed as the book gets on that. It's something in the heart of Arcadia. Yeah. There's also an interesting story hook buried in there somewhere because we get the note that you know you have to pass through the mistweir, that heavy misty barrier between the mm-hmm. uh, far and the deep dreaming. But then there's also a note that the only two ways to actually enter are by following a trod, which are rare, mm-hmm. or a path of Belor from the deep umbra, which is the only way a mage presumably would get in in the first place. So. Mm-hmm. Those paths are one way. You'll find yourself in the deep dreaming, and suddenly your magic doesn't work. You know yeah. what happened? And the story they have is an example of entering the deep dreaming without going through a trod. But <laughs> well, they... <laughs> well, that depends on how you define it. Because the silver path is diffused throughout the deep dreaming. In a way, just about any path you take in the deep dreaming could be a kind of trod. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Weren't they following some kind of sky trod though? Like early on. If I recall correctly, it said the beasts were flying of their own volition and they couldn't control their direction. Um, mm-hmm. This is this book is, yeah, this chapter is a bit, uh, we'll, we'll get more to this. <laughs> yeah. The chapter, or the fiction just kind of ends after this. Like, this is the end of the story. So it kind of just ends in the middle of things without resolving anything. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to feel about that. And then we get a completely new um, narrator? fiction bit, I think. Uh, I'm not sure how to describe it. Yeah, uh, chapter yeah. 5. I can't remember how chapter 3 starts out. I think chapter 3 is mostly an omniscient narrator. Yeah, and then... we'll get to that in a bit. But yeah, it talks about you can get to a few have gotten to Arcadia and the doors are sealed. Mm-hmm. The mist's weird like you said. I think I do I do want to take a minute to appreciate the mist weird just because of, I, I, I do like mm. the description of it. It is a cool concept. And that's a thing I can say about a lot of stuff in this book. There are lots of really cool concepts Mm -hmm. that I wish that they would have taken and developed and made a few more plot hooks around. Yeah. As we keep getting, like, the Mistweir, it gets uh, gets a couple of paragraphs. Yeah, including talking about the Goblin Market, which is like, Mm -hmm. I want more on that. That was like Mm -hmm. one paragraph, and I'm like, I want the Goblin Market. (laughs) Yeah, a, a deep dreaming Goblin Market. Can you imagine what that might be like? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> oh, it also says Arcadia is a city. Yeah, in this chapter, it says that Arcadia is a city. Yep. Uh, <laughs> the, the this chapter is the important part of that sentence. <laughs> yeah, or at least it's part of the chapter. I didn't check the rest of it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, we have the Goblin Market, the Wastelands with the p- pool of counted stores, and then the Great Engine. I thought the Great Engine was also kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. the Great Engine has always fired my imagination ever yeah. since I first read this book. Um, mm-hmm. It's something that I have always really wanted to use in a, camp, in a chronicle, but I still have not figured out a good way to, to work one in. And, it, and that brings me back to, to what I really wish they had done. I wish they'd had called out plot hooks around all of these, ways to mm-hmm. get your troop into this area yeah. and have it affect things. I mean, this is a, we're actually almost done this chapter already. Mm-hmm. And I, I would have liked even more than that, talking about how the heck you're supposed to run a game in the Deep Dreaming. Because they <laughs> have yeah. weird Augman things, which may or may not mean anything. Mm-hmm. Okay, you have the art changes, and then you have some like locations later on that are 
not making sense to me as being in the dreaming at all, some of it. Hmm. And that's it. Like, it... <laughs> It does not tell me how to play a game and like run it. I've tried running in the past and I've just we've just been like, yeah, just ignore it. Let's just wing it and not roll dice. Like that's about where I've been. But mm-hmm. that's that's what yeah. I've always done. Once we get, I had a chronicle that actually spent a relatively significant amount of time in the deep dreaming, and that was yep. mostly the way it ended up. Is we just didn't do dice. It was all mostly yeah. narrative. But then they have all these rules involving dice. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> You're supposed to be doing, like, they recommend doing. I mean, we can do whatever, but it doesn't mm-hmm. do a good job at explaining what to do. They do specifically note that birthrights and frailties no longer have dice rolls. So that at mm-hmm. least you don't have to worry about. You just get all yeah. the appearance or, or strength dots or whatever kith you may be playing. Mm-hmm. Or stamina dots. Like, what does that even mean? Then? And also your running yeah, speed still. So. And the trolls are, like, actually not as strong as they should be because they're, like, comparable to, like, a growl war form or something. Not... <laughs> <laughs> not quite mountain lifting things like that. yeah I, I think I think the Ogman is probably or the Ogman I, I don't know why I always add an extra U into that um, but anyway the Ogman I think is is one of those things that I wish could be tweaked some to make them mm-hmm. instead of so heavily mechanic based so you're buffing stats on the character sheet but make mm-hmm. them more of a uh, a story game type thing where yeah Kind of like fate or something like that, where they provide moves that you wouldn't be able to do normally. Yeah, um, something mm, like that. I think there's a little bit of that in here. This was published yeah. in 1997. Uh huh. Like, yeah, before, before before story though, those sorts of games ever came on the scene, mm-hmm. which which is fair. But uh, but this seems like a good opportunity to to do that. There's a couple in here that I think stand out, like the Puka shape changing birthright, where. It mentions Puka can become dragons here if they so desire, but they may opt never to change again and leave their motleys in search of a new life, mm-hmm. where the red caps mm-hmm. are always unsated. And then my favorite, the Slua mm-hmm. can turn into vapor, which I think is just the coolest shit. <laughs> so <laughs> yep. cool. You don't like trying to just describe your she ranging in appearance from uh, nine to fourteen, depending <laughs> on <laughs> I just I, I feel like once you get past five you just add yeah. that many adjectives. Yeah, it's like six. I can see you're more power. You're more beautiful than the most beautiful mm. person. Cool. Eleven. The sheep frailty <laughs> with the augment. I'm not sure what to do with because they they get their empathic blindness, so they can't even conceive of non she existing. <laughs> so. Well, specifically says they can't do empathy rolls. Yeah, they can still be like treat them like objects to be manipulated. Including socially, I suppose that's true, but uh, but it just it, it's one of those things that just sort of it feels to me it cuts off role playing opportunities instead of adding. Them. Oh yeah, uh, the same as the like. Okay, well, if these birthrights did apply with each other, it's like, oh, your red cap's now eating everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 What's to do with that? It, it, it specifically says that in their frailty. Yeah. They're like, any changeling who gets too near a red cap might end up lunch. <laughs> yeah, or it's like, okay, Puka, I don't actually like the, the combination of the one of the birthrights and the and the frailty here. Mm-hmm. Because it's like the confidants kicked up to eleven, everybody will tell them their secrets, but the Puka will think they're lying anyway and won't want any and won't, won't even want to talk to them. Mm-hmm. So, yep. What? Yeah. <laughs> The implication there to me is 
the onus is on the puka who goes into the deep dreaming to like remember enough of all of the beans that the people around them spill so that when they get back out if they can remember enough of yeah. it they'll be able to realize oh actually those weren't all lies yeah but they don't even want to talk yeah. to them maybe that's like, reading between the lines too much yeah because like you're the most charming person ever that you just yeah i'll go other way to avoid everybody but what uh, were you just what you were just saying, Puka, that about the try, having to to find a way to remember what happened so that when you get back you'll know things. The section on the Mistweir, this is also one of the one of my frustrations with this chapter. The Mistweir hmm. specifically does not allow memories to return from the deep dreaming once you leave it. Um, yeah. Hmm. So it does not allow memories to escape the deep dreaming. I think of this chapter as being more I mean, this book has a lot of it going on all through it. But when anything else would be like, okay, this is, we need a new book on the dreaming. <laughs> and there's lots of ideas for what to put in the deep dreaming stuff in this chapter, mm-hmm. right? But yes. you can't just keep it as is. Like, you gotta. <laughs> yeah. You'd want to modify things to to grant role-playing opportunities instead of cutting yeah. them off left and right. <laughs> and also being like, okay, it's fine. You're in a contradictory shifting dreamscape but uh, that doesn't mean your rules should be a contradictory shifting like something it's like i'm trying to read this book while dreaming (laughs) yes and understand the rules and make rulings there yes but Uh, to your point charlie about wanting more story hooks and and josh to your point about the realms that are in the following chapter not to nudge us in that direction or anything but um, (laughs) those like we said last time with the realms that we get in the first half, they're almost like, to me, it reads like a D&D compendium of like, here are a couple pages on each of a whole bunch of realms that you can just run a story in. And mm-hmm. the rest of the geography of the deep dreaming is like that. What's the what's the term in a video game? The When you're going from world to world on Mario or whatever, and you're just kind of like walking along oh. the road for a while. And nothing really a happens. loading screen, so you, you, you the yeah. game has to have nothing happening for a little bit, so it has time to load up the next section. <laughs> That's chapter three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a good description. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Because then the chapter four ones, I mean, frankly, it reads to me like, I say this without judgment, they imbibed whatever kinds of substances they had on hand and just went to town. And mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. There's stuff in chapter four that just reverberated throughout the line, throughout the game line ever since this book got released. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised how much I had forgotten about that it was the first time it appeared here. Because like you have uh-huh. the Triumph cask and Koryxara and all the stuff from Denizens yeah. and... Uh-huh. So, so do we want to move on to chapter four? Let's. Sure, let's do that. <laughs> okay, so we left off uh, the previous two episodes. We went up through Echoes of Lost Arcadia, and mm-hmm. that would take us into Kuraksara, the Red Plains. One of the coolest things in this book. <laughs> I wanted to mention, so we, we did talk briefly about the Arcadia Echoes, but then also they have this distinction that they call the Heart's Realms for reasons I'm not entirely clear on. Um, But it says that they contain fugitive pieces of the Arcadian dream. And each realm, almost to me, it's like, it's very conceptual. So Kuriksara, the first one, is like the dream of war because it's just constant conflict and bloodshed Mm -hmm. and everything. And presumably that's the root of that fantasy or that 
that idea in the minds of dreamers. And all of them are meant to be like cursed or corrupted in some way because I don't know, I guess the shattering did stuff, whatever, separated it from our It implies the Fomorians are sleeping there for Kurixaris. Also that, well, yeah, in in that one specifically. The red court sleeps beneath them, yes. Yeah. So what I especially like, though, is before we get into the individual realms, there's a note at the start of page 76 where it says, the true Arcadia is the story, with a capital S, built of all possible stories. And it's a very meta sort of cosmology to look at Arcadia, which I like better than just, oh, it's the homeland of the Fae. And I, I kind of would like mm-hmm. to see that played up more. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the direction Changeling was ultimately going to be headed in you know second edition and later on, but it's interesting to think about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Kurixara, uh-huh. the Red Plains. There's a picture with Kurixara. <laughs> there sure for, is. For t- over 20 years now, I've been trying to understand this picture. And it's, it's lived in the back of my head. And Is that a door? Is there like a guy with an axe, like armor, standing in front of a door? That's a there, face? Or- definitely some sort of portal. And I don't think the, the face is actually part of the, the portal thing. I think it's actually coming out of it. It's it almost mm. somebody has opened the triumph cask and the horde of horrors are pouring forth from it. But mm. I'm not sure that's what it's actually supposed to be because it just doesn't look quite when like. I first saw it originally back in a long time ago. I thought it was like a train with that weird demon face. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of awesome. <laughs> should should we just kind of? Myself, I have brief descriptions of each of the realms. I don't know if we want to fly through them or talk about them individually. Let's let's at least touch on each of them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Talk, yeah, talks Kirks are the different factions fighting over it. The Triumph Cast of Sorrows, which is super weapon. Yes. And the great fight is over. The the, the super weapon created by the Green Court of the Fomorians and gifted to the Red Court. And then in their final act of defiance, he the, the the red king rips it from his chest and instead of opening it he breaks apart the keys to it and gives a fragment of each of the keys to a faction of the uh two often fey that uh are those him. are those the keys that are supposed to be of the kingdom in the book that never got released <laughs> yes yes yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. in fact uh there was the opening fiction to that never released book that uh, chris howard posted on the changeling forums way back when and uh, it featured one of those keys it is saved in my changeling the podcast folder mm-hmm. <laughs> for uh, eventual discussion mm-hmm. and side note chris howard still has all of his old drafts and i have been <gasps> talking to him about that <laughs> uh, really okay he was not the only author on that book so it's just his stuff but uh i seem to recall mm. that because it, it was another three author book, right? And like each of them was taking one of the geographic areas and his was done uh, and someone else's was partly done. I Something. believe that's about right. And I think that there was another person who didn't really start work on it, um, if I recall correctly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Alas. Yeah. There's a bit of a history thing. It's getting into the like history of the Fae. And it's kind of confusing me. Like it's presenting the Fomorians ruled the world. And then the Arcadian Fae rose up and did a war and overthrew them. Mm-hmm. And no mention of the Tuatha de Danon 
in this, although it talks about them later as being ancient fae. Oh, I was going to say, in in the Kurixar write-up, the Tuatha don't get mentioned, but they do get mentioned in some of the Fomorian stories yeah. later on in the book. Yeah. I'm having trouble fitting in where the Tuatha do not fit into the chronology. And... So the neat thing about this book is this was the first time that the Fomorians really got mentioned as the Fomorians, if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. Before this, the big ancient enemy were just referred to as the Dark, and there was mm-hmm. wasn't really much much depth given to them, other than you know, if I remember right, in the Changeling Second Core book, uh, or it might have been Nobles the Shining Host, I can't remember which, but there's stories of the She returning and some of the stuff that they were either running through or running from on their way to Earth were were remnants of the dark. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's in nobles because we've talked a little bit before, or at least I've brought up my pet theory about how there's a Chris Howard meta plot that kind of runs through a few books. <laughs> <laughs> and that was yes. the first book that actually mentioned the Tuatha and the Fomorians, I think. I believe that. <laughs> yes, yeah, sir. There, there was a tiny thing in the first edition core book, mm-hmm. but it was mostly doing the thing they kept doing in first edition of well, the Garu talk about these Fomori things. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this is certainly the first book where they're divided into red, white, and green. And I was actually mm-hmm. surprised that Chris Howard wasn't a writer on this book because so many of the ideas that he plays with later appear here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I do know Chris Howard was, was uh, extremely prolific with White Wolf at the time when this mm-hmm. book was being done. He might have he might have been tied up on other books. There's, uh, I don't was, know. Was he in Atlanta at the time? Like, was this still like everyone in the office together and they were like maybe bouncing ideas off each other or something? Or I don't know. I do know. I was, I wish I could take credit for it, but, but my wonderful wife, Anna, had the thought as I was reading this to look up the writers of these, uh, of uh, Dreams and Nightmares and kind of look to see what each of them had done in addition to this book. Very little on Changeling. And, <laughs> uh, well, I forget which it was. I should have written it down, but I did not. Uh, one of them, after this one, worked on uh, in anime the shining. Uh, in anime the shining goes in anime the secret, <laughs> the secret way, <laughs> and I can definitely see that with some of the writing in here. I'd be willing to bet it was by him. And mm-hmm. then another one worked on uh, the Trinity stuff, <laughs> just yeah. massively prolific on Trinity. So that's that's neat, but but yes, they they hadn't done a whole lot on Changeling, or these three had not done a whole lot mm-hmm. on Changeling before or after this one. I almost wonder if that was intentional on the part of Ian Lemke or whomever else to kind of get some, you know, a, a group, a team that was not at all invested in anything that had been present in the setting before. Like they have the basics, yeah. but then they just go wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as much as we have, like we'll have criticisms of this book i don't think i'm really thinking there's anything i mind that it's because it contradicted something before this book hmm. right yeah, yeah yeah it's all very self-contained it is mm-hmm. and and the ideas in this book are fantastic like like they're just yep. so evocative that's part of what makes it so frustrating is because some yeah. of this is just so good and there's no yeah hints at how to use it in your game <laughs> yeah it's it, it needs a better editing it needs a better like high level editing 
to it, I think. Like, this is a great rough draft. Hashtag White Wolf. (laughs) Shall we carry on through these realms, then? Let's let's continue. Yeah, Capicia? Capicia? No, no, we skipped Rubejal, the Cup of Vine. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry, I thought that was one of the five great beasts. Sorry, I got confused. Okay, (laughs) It's it is a short one compared with the others, but it has some neat stuff in it. Even though it's short, um, yeah. Do you, you want to give the overview and then I'll kind of yeah. dig in a little bit? Basically, it's these bejeweled tunnels filled with treasure and things beneath the hills of uh, the dreaming. I suppose it's a place of pleasure and timeless rounds of couplings and other masquerades that have caused the realm to grow sleepy and drawn. There's references to the Kubera running it, which is actually more in line with the mythological history of Kubera from uh, Hindu mythology. And it strikes me as kind of like if I were to, you know, if Kuriksara is the dream of war, this is almost like the dream of buried treasure, I suppose. And there's a lot of that fairies under the hill kind of endless parties through eternity vibe. I didn't think about that, but you're right. That's uh, that definitely plays into this. What really stuck out to me uh, rereading this realm, I didn't even remember this realm. I must have either skipped over it back in the day or it just didn't make much of an impression on me at the time. But now, reading through it, there's some neat stuff with the history of the Fae in that little bit. Because it has all these treasures buried there that predate the Fomorians. And uh, mm. something called the Moi. <laughs> yes. I think that's how it's supposed to be pronounced. Mwah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that that sound like they predate the Fomorians and the Tuatha and everything. And they're the ones that, according to this anyway, instigated the uprising against the Fomorians. But they, they come up later on in this book again. Yeah. Uh, this yeah, isn't yeah. the last the, this isn't the last time the Mwah come up in this. Well, it's it's referred to later as a single being, which is interesting, mm-hmm. and the embodiment of the sigil of fairy, the first gift for which the tithe to hell is due. And that's basically the only information we yes. get about it, which just leaves me with more questions that I want answered. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but that uh, that open area kind of gives storytellers a little bit of leeway to, to do with it as they will. Mm. And just sort of play around if that's something that they want to dig into in their chronicle. Once again, it would be nice if there were some hints about how to work this stuff into your chronicle. Like, uh, <laughs> what are some story hooks around this to uh, to, to give uh, storytellers and players a little bit of a, a kickstart on their on their efforts? But still, there's 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 fertile ground here. So, and then we get to the now it's Capacia, Capacia, Capacia. The clockwork I'm going sky. to go out on a limb and say that it's actually supposed to be Chapecia, because later on we get the Chapex, and it's after mm. um, the guy, Karol Chapek, who wrote the play R-U-R, which is where the word robot got mm. introduced into the lexicon. Mm. So I, I wonder if it's yeah. supposed to be that. So this is a cool realm. It's run by chimerical robots, basically. And it's a giant clockwork or mechanical realm with a fake sky and so are they chimerical robots or are they an anime because uh, there's a lot in here yeah. that seem to suggest yeah, or an, that they're actually yeah. an anime <laughs> just before the an anime book got written and uh yeah. and really codified what an anime are mm-hmm. oh but there's a lot of terminology from that book that made its way in here i'd say they're like 
yeah, what becomes an anime. Yes. <laughs> <'cause it's written. laughs> yeah. But it also, I don't understand why it's in the deep. It, it makes, doesn't make sense to me in the deep dreaming. Yes, I agree. And like they have dreamers that they've kidnapped. That they do something with to get dreams from them. I'm like, okay, what does that do? Why would you even need that in the deep dreaming with everything they've talked about? They talk about department stores at one point. Mm-hmm. Like, are these department stores in this place? And are they like having mannequins in department stores where there's mannequin people walking around? Or are they talking about Autumn World department stores? In which case, are there like colonies of Chapacha, like in the Autumn World? And they just don't say that. Or but they, I'm but very they have confused. Their, but they have their empire in the in the department stores wherever they are. Yeah. <laughs> It's like what? <laughs> yes, I might. I might suggest that this is the dream of modern capitalism. Like mm-hmm. the ultimate expression of it is even the people have just become machines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it also like it says, oh, banality is not found in the deep dreaming, except for from like you know your, your, the changelings entering it. I'm like, I don't know what banality is if there's no banality in this place. Yeah. Yeah. stuff going on it's, it's... <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well i mean that, that was that was actually one of my kind of complaints about this little write-up it, it kind of went back to something that changeling has historically done occasionally that's always kind of rubbed me a little bit the wrong way where technology is inherently evil and natural places mm-hmm. are inherently good yeah and you just the anything with technology is is devoid of creativity and doomed to fail and this city is it's it's on its last legs it's about to fall from the sky and it uh and it hints at a whole lot that it's because that they're technological and not yeah. uh, having enough natural plant life and animal life in there um to keep it afloat yeah and that that too that aside this is still by far my favorite of all of these realms <laughs> like, <laughs> it just sounds so much fun and i want to run a game there it's my favorite realm but i would not set it in the deep dreaming if i were running it yeah maybe not maybe not yeah th- this does feel much more like a far dreaming realm than a deep dreaming realm i'd put this as like a really weird hidden city in the autumn world Ooh, i could see that too mm. yeah there's also a, an interesting connection perhaps to be made with the automata is it automaton or something else the kith of arcadia Oh, um, there's a couple of those. There's the Renegade Cogs and the um, the Mechorgs. That's the one I was thinking of, yeah. Well, either way, mechanical kiths. And then we get to what's actually my favorite deep dreaming realm. I, I agree. This is actually tied. I should have agreed with. Yeah. And this <laughs> makes sense to me in the deep dreaming. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Uh, Regarten the labyrinthine knot. It's a giant, really big hedge maze that actually, and it's like, there's like this dust that's corrosive everywhere. What this actually reminds me the most of is exalted, like the stuff with the demon rolls and stuff, reading it, but it feels like an inspiration for that. I I actually got vibes of proto-changeling the lost reading this one. Mm, Like, uh, I I don't know if it was intentional or not, uh, or as far as... Changeling Lost drawing on this intentionally or not, but I mm-hmm. definitely felt the hedge when I was uh, when I was uh, reading. This. That makes sense. Yep. Yeah. The mention of brambles and everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It says like these are. It's it's essentially all trods, but they're go... all crashed into each other and tied up in a knot. And if you get stuck there, you can't. You you have a very yeah. difficult time getting out. You might. It, it's rumored that if you could actually get all the way through the maze, 
to the outside, it would just be this barren desert. And there's these beings that can refer to as dreamers with a capital D wandering around. I'm like, are these people sleeping? Are these like physically dreamers taken here for some unknown reason? Like, what are these dreamers? I would say, because I, I also, that stood out to me when I was thinking like, well, wait, I thought it was really hard for mortals to get to the deep dreaming. But given that a dreaming mortal can stumble into at least the near dreaming, and this represents mm-hmm. like the ultimate fractal tangle of every possible trod, if a dreamer found themselves mm-hmm. on such a trod that eventually led there, that could be like one of the very few ways that they could end up there. Okay. Yeah. So one of the things that I was re- when I was reading this that I thought would have been a neat little addition to it that uh, that could have made for a neat plot hook, but there are no plot hooks. So, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> it would be cool since this is this is the a tangle of intersections and and it is the embodiment of every intersection that exists. I thought it would be cool if maybe like if somebody comes to an intersection in the autumn realm and takes a wrong turn at that intersection ending up in here in this knot on accident Mm -hmm. would be pretty cool if you turn other left Uh uh-huh yeah and and there's a there's a little sidebar here about something else stuck here the wolven mask are these like dead white howlers is that what they're implying because they're definitely implying something Uh, well it, it has the wolven mask and this little sidebar is the only mention of the wolven mask at all, but there are wolves on the path that just wander and don't really say anything, don't really do anything other than to accompany people. Yeah, they're just sad white wolves that stare at you. Mm-hmm. But it, well, I mean, unless it's a meta reference to the company itself, I like that idea that it's you know the <laughs> the remnants of the white howler soul or something. Um, but yeah, but but because there are all these wolves wandering the path. The woven mask has become something of an ill omen among trod walkers. So whatever what is that the means, mask? <laughs> <laughs> I was just these wandering around white wolves or the woven uh, mask. Uh, really? Because I thought it was the woven mask was an object that was feared because uh, of all the wandering around. Uh, it's got a funny spelling, so it can't be a literal mask, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, the yeah, what is the woven mask? <laughs> is it the society of these silently wandering around sad dead wolves sure <laughs> could be could be something else that given how in uh the rubajal realm we have references to fiona we also have here the note that it's the hearthland of the elenid and i'm not really sure yes. what that's supposed to mean i also don't know if it was a typo and they meant heartland but either way yeah what are they that, doing? That there? stuck out to me too. It seemed like maybe in an earlier draft, this these were all supposed to be the the home realms of the houses. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Uh, that got abandoned because not all that even even for at the time when this was written, not all the houses are are included, and it just doesn't really. Well, I was I was not sure if it, both of these, if it's talking about oh yeah, she of this house, or it's like were the houses named after somebody specific, and that's who it's about the whole, the these these realms. Well, I, I don't know. Just from the from that little mention, it just felt like that there was more planned originally. Um, oh yeah, every yeah, yeah, single yeah. paragraph feels like there's more planned. <laughs> <in here. laughs> well, it's, it's just because it, it brings up like the Fiona having such a having some kind of connection to uh, that underground tunnel realm, and then mm-hmm. the the Ilunid having some strong connection to this to this labyrinth. 
mm-hmm. there's a mention of Gwydion under Kurexara. Uh-huh. It's true. And presumably Dougal would be the clockwork one. Presumably, but it never got mentioned. But yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. that would fit. Well, they did talk about the makers, which may or may not exist. Yeah. The <laughs> and then Liam have the sad realm. That would leave it with Liam. Did Liam get mentioned in the sad realm? The empire? I don't of think so. There's, there's the glass highnesses, which perhaps might have once been she, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, Liam does not show up in this book at all. Should, shall we move on to talking about Arike, the Empire of Regret? Okay. Yeah, let's move on to the to the Empire of Regret. It's it's wet and sad and full of things with shells and spirals. Mm-hmm. Apparently, snails are important. Yeah. <laughs> It's so out of left field too, <laughs> but it's it's yeah. great. I love the imagery of it. <laughs> they they should have had them doing battle with like knights and rabbits and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> but it it does get me in the feels. I will admit because it's talking about like there are six known sites in the dreaming to which the snails travel when they realize that they are dying mm. because the way is difficult and dying snails travel slowly. Most never make it to the graveyards and die somewhere along the way. Uh-huh. It's like, geez, book. Yep. But I love, I love like snails are these the one autumn realm thing that like just wanders into the deep dreaming. It's like yeah. on a regular basis. <laughs> Where snails go to die. When they go to die, they enter the dreaming and make their pilgrimage. Um, yeah, that's that's cool. That's cooler than dream realm Lovecraftian cats, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the uh, this realm I thought was was okay. It felt a little bit more superficial to me than the others, um, mm-hmm. other than the snail bit, the, the snail, yeah. <laughs> the snail side part is the best part. Yeah, it does a lot. It most of it's like giving on like, oh yeah, it's really sad. It's like all atmosphere, nothing else. Mm-hmm. So I'd be like, well, yeah. you're here. It's really rainy and sad and it's wet, sad. and there's snails, and these and these two are in the tower just waiting for true love to rescue them. If only true love could bring the sun back. What? I don't even... Yeah. (laughs) There is a note here that I think is relevant to Changeling writ large as a game where it says, It is said by Cathane, who should know better, that Arake is the hidden secret of all that has gone wrong with the fairy World of Wonders to turn it into a World of Darkness with the relevant words capitalized. Mm -hmm. So we've talked before about the sort of debates among people of whether or not changeling should be included in the world of darkness for various silly reasons. But this, I think, points to a good way to frame it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's changed. It's very much you are being killed by the world of darkness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, I, I do like the phrase the world of wonders as the as, as the opposition to the world of darkness. Um, yeah, yeah, it yeah. does evoke the mythic age of fairy and the uh, I forget what mage calls it the golden age when when mages could be mythic age mythic age that, that might be it yeah and then on the subject of uh, superficiality just briefly before we move on I wanted to hop back to probably my favorite piece of writing just stylistically in the book which is um, for the Irgarden labyrinth when they describe the framework. And if you'll allow me to just quote here, it says, Essentially, the Irgarten is the writhing coils of the world serpent, the convoluted pathways at the belly of the beast, the knotted heart of the world that lies at the center and the crossroads of all the trons. It is the labyrinth, but it is not a place of evil or sadness. From the changeling perspective, it is not a fallen part of the world. 
Rather, the knotwork and interwoven geometry here represents the weave work of dawn itself, the eye of the knitting needle of fate. This is the cat's cradle, as the place that is the convergence of trods, all hyphenated, the ear garden is best described by the trod formations that most effectively lead to it. Hopscotch, the labyrinth of Daedalus, the hedge maze, and its spontaneously generated ghost cousins, the crop circles. At the center of the ear garden lies a bottomless well from which anything, external or interior, may be drawn up into the labyrinth. That, to me, is like, that's an entire game in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I'm here for it. I just wanted mm -hmm. to, to put that into the <laughs> As much as I like the Clockwork City, that's just beautiful. But you, you reading it out loud just struck something in me that I didn't get when I was reading it to myself. <laughs> um, the way that it mentions the labyrinth and it not being a place of evil, I wonder. I do mm, wonder if it's mm -hmm. meant to be the same labyrinth as, show, as what shows up in other World of Darkness mm. games. Hence the wolf and mask. Or is it the place that David Bowie lives? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there's enough goblins on it. <laughs> if anything may be drawn up into the labyrinth, that includes David Bowie in a very revealing pair of tights. <laughs> anyway. It's the dreaming. He's got to be there somewhere. <laughs> so, yeah. Here's where we get into... I complained last episode about or had the criticism or whatever. The far dreaming didn't do a good enough description both in this chapter and the other thing, didn't go enough description of making the dreaming seem big. We now get into the deep part of the deep dreaming. With the yes. depths of the dream. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it definitely doesn't feel small anymore to me, the dreaming, this part. No, this 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 was one of the most evocative bits to me when yeah. it talks about the... Uh... The everything. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's hard to really describe it, but the the ocean of everything, of infinity, and suspended in it are the oniric realms and each of those and one of them being arcadia and and implying that each of them are worlds in and to themselves yeah and then like you have these heron women and crawfish beds that are born with arcadia <laughs> what, like, what is, going is that <laughs> that, that's, that, that that little sidebar has always just given me a wtf moment ever ever since i first read this book <laughs> so. oh this gets back into the moi the green and black compendia of the moi uh-huh. Yep. Yeah, this is where it's mentioned, yeah. Yeah. So the first gift for which the tithe to hell is due. Like, tell me more about that, please, but no. Nope. But you have heron women and crawfish men? <laughs> this also, maybe, maybe this was just a, a play of words or something. This talks about the black court of the Fomorians. And I'm like, what? Is that the fourth court? Like, Yeah. <laughs> so I can't remember if it's in this one or if it's in a later book, but the black court does come up again. And it's the I'm I'm trying to remember which book what was there is there. one in the C20 Player's Guide. There is one in the C20 Player's Guide. There's one in C20 uh, because I put it in C20. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, but before C20, uh, it comes up, and I can't remember which book it was. But but the Black Court is the prophesized fourth court of the Fomorians mm. when the first three unify. Oh, interesting. To write some notes from something I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> and it was out of that prophecy that uh, I included the Black Court in uh, in C20. Is it maybe Innocence of the Dreaming? Because that rings a bell now that you're talking about it. It wouldn't surprise me if it was Denison's. Um That seems like a good place for it to pop up in. Mm -hmm. And since you mentioned uh, Chris Howard's meta plot earlier, 
<laughs> I know. I know. In uh, in Harbingers of Winter, Chris Howard included the Black Court as the first court of of uh, the Fomorians, the pre-court before they split into the three courts. So it could be the past and future of the Fomorians. Well, in the meantime, they've entrusted all of their dark and chthonic glory to heron women and crawfish men, apparently. <laughs> they sure have. Which are also Arca- born with Arcadia. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh. Yeah, we also, there's the references here to Luna, the High Queen of Arcadia, and I'm like, oh, come on, like, mm-hmm. this far into the game line, please don't send us back to the moon. <laughs> no, or it's just some lady named Luna, and they're just, yeah, it, just it trolling. Be an entity named Luna, uh, who's not necessarily this, uh, what do they call them, werewolf, Celestines? Yeah, 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 yeah. Not necessarily the Celestine from, from werewolf. Just a different Luna. Mm-hmm. Although they did, in the introduction, refer to the, the Incarnate as very powerful looking Chimera. So. <laughs> Who knows then? So then, the mm. Sea of Silver. There, there's another beautiful line in here where it says, uh, at the center of the human heart lies the bottomless well of the universe and vice versa. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. Yes. Cool. That was That was one of my favorite bits in this where it talks about how the large is contained within the small and the small contains the large and, and it's all it's it. The whole thing is like um, two mirrors reflecting back upon each other. And so you have everything is contained within everything else. Thinking of media inspirations for what this made me think of. Did either of you ever watch the TV series reboot? <laughs> oh, forever ago. There was, there was like season three, they went to the web and it's just like, reminds me of that like just <laughs> <laughs> well this is one of the few examples in the book where the art actually very detailed in a very detailed way matches the description of the realm because you can see the sea there's a stone ship floating upon it there are the promethean giants standing in it and then the cataract of like mm-hmm. silver whirling stuff that goes up into the sky and presumably fans out into all of the trods are all the silver paths yep Mm -hmm. yep it is it is a very literal representation of everything mentioned in that in this section yeah yeah Uh, and that there's oh yeah the ocean's heart there's a line here the sea is incomprehensibly vast forming the final and deepmost layer of the dreaming short of the timeless reaches of the deep dreaming itself mm -hmm. what (laughs) (laughs) i thought this was in the deep dreaming what help me here it is, but it it goes back to that uh, that yeah. that bit about how everything is contained within something else, yeah. but that something else exists in the thing that is containing it, that it's containing. So this, yeah, I got from the, all this it, a vague illusion in my probably just writing like drawing connections between the lines here mm-hmm. of things beyond the deep dreaming mm-hmm. that might be mm-hmm. accessible here, which would be just somewhere else (laughs) even stranger but at some point it's like what would you have that be like what is the conceptual difference it's kind of like the she going from appearance 9 to 13 you know functionally what could it well I would have it no longer being part of the collective unconscious of humanity Mm -hmm. or the world or anything like that it's truly alien something is where I'd go with that's what I would do like like if the dreaming is the collective unconsciousness of humanity, then what lies beyond the dreaming is something utterly inhuman. 
Um, mm-hmm. And so what would that be? And there's little things like throughout things like where did the Tawatha Dedon come from and things mm-hmm. like that. So yep. maybe they came from there. The only other thing that I want to mention about the Sea of Silver is that it's apparently also where the Undines come from. And I don't <laughs> think once we get to Anatomy the Secret Way, I think all of this kind of gets thrown out, right? Like the empires are in their own realms in the dreaming, right? The Anatomy book, if I remember right, is pretty vague on what the empires actually mm. consist of. Um, okay. So these could be the empires. But... I got the impression they were kind of almost like this very fantastical concept in biology that there might be an entire shadow ecosystem going on that we just don't know about using a different form of life on earth or something like that that's and it sort of reminds me of that like it's physically located it's not like it's immaterial or something you just the meat folk wouldn't know it's there for the most part (laughs) it just doesn't concern them and is so different yes (laughs) i i do want to mention real quick before we move on from the silver sea i didn't see it in this area when i was reading it preparing for this but I could have sworn I remembered somewhere in this talking about how the Silver Sea is also the same thing that's in Wraith. Um, the Tempest? The Tempest, yes. Mm, it seems a lot calmer. It does seem a lot calmer, but in the middle of it, there's that giant maelstrom. So, yeah. I think there's a reference to when they're talking about the different Umbrae, and there's a reference, it's like the, the Seas of Dream, maybe, or like one of the other dreaming oceany things is equated with the tempest because that sounds familiar Mm -hmm. it could be but yeah this does this does there are connections here where this could be two different both here and in that labyrinth thing connected somehow to oblivion in a way the green court sleeps beneath the silver sea and uh, Mm -hmm. and there are hints that the green court and the neverborn might be one and the same we also have the very quick note in here that the center of the sea is a place of absolute calm there the voyager may find a small isle which is arcadia of course the fact that the sea of silver is infinite means that its center would be rather difficult to encounter if it exists at all thanks book (laughs) yes that that gives me like vibes of things from the 19th century and early 20th century people just read a math textbook and then didn't quite understand it but had a weird fever dream (laughs) (laughs) i think you've described this entire book yeah well that that bit with the thing going on too with the when we were talking about like the relationship of the umbra and the dreaming i'm like yeah that yeah that's definitely both non-euclidean and more than three-dimensional so (laughs) (laughs) and metaphorically described so anyway shall we carry on to the home realms yeah so there's a little bit on the Promethean giants, which I think might be related to the previous thing. I don't know what this is supposed to be. Yeah. The Promethean giants were related to the Silver Sea. They're a neat concept. Something, these, these beings that predate... Did it say that they predate existence? Um, I couldn't... No, they predate Arcadia. They possibly predate Arcadia. Arcadia. Okay, that's right. But they're just impossibly old things that are standing watch and are slowly... Oh, it also suggests Arcadian is a separate like language, and there's like, and they speak an ancient version of Arcadian. To the point that you had made earlier, Charlie, about you know the incomprehensible stuff that's even beyond the deep dreaming. Mm-hmm. There's the note that they do not appear to be the product of fairy glamour, and may in fact 
not be the product of any human dreaming. It makes me think that they're like the probes sent by beings from outside of <laughs> the dreaming to like observe or something. Or, or, or beings that got lost from their own... Uh... Yeah. From their own yep. space and ended up in uh, rogue celestials, in human headspace. Yeah, or maybe they were here before the dreaming was formed. Mm. Could be. And then we get yeah the home. So we get now to the home realms. This is in a weird spot in this book. I gotta say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is another thing. I'm like maybe this should have been. This would have made a lot more sense to me in the far dreaming too. It would have yes. Uh, and it, and it's such a abrupt transition going from this amazing write up of the depths of dream and the sea of silver to the home realms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do want to point out. I mean, we've kind of been treating this because the chapter kind of treats treats the realms as kind of points along this single linear path, but I don't think it actually spells out like where the home realms are located or even where some of the other realms we've already read are located. That's so true. I feel like you could put them in either if you want. Yeah. Well, these are all more like categories mm-hmm. and it does explicitly say in other parts of the book that all these realms shift around all the time anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right. It, it never said, it never really establishes what yeah. part of the dreaming some of these are. And uh, there's no reason to think that they're all. But in Yeah, I do think, though, yeah, in the order of the book, putting this super deep dreaming stuff might have made sense at the end of the ch- yeah. this chapter. Yeah, I, but, I agree. It, it is a bit of a letdown going from the Sea of Silver to the Home Realms. <laughs> that being said, I love the narrative explanation of the Home Realms. I think that's a great, like, historical note about this failed experiment to open a trod to Arcadia that the commoners did during the interregnum. And they just ended up creating this patchwork of their ideas of home. Mm-hmm. So we've got three of them that survive. Well, the Myrmitown I think is a cooler boggin realm than the like fields beyond. Yes. Cause it's absolutely agreed. It's, it's cities that are just intrigue, full of intrigue, but mostly nonviolent. And it's all just, Let's just make everything complicated. And then the Slua live underneath it in tunnels, Mm -hmm. which this just reminds me of like dungeons from Dungeons and Dragons, kind of, but more creepy. I was thinking Nosferatu from from Vampire the Masquerade. Uh, I got a lot of vibes of that. Except the, I did, I did like the, like the, the inner sanctum of the tunnels where the floor is covered in grates and you can look out and peer out the grate, see stuff going on in places in, uh, in the autumn realm from the other side of the corresponding gate, grate. And there's another way of getting into the dreaming that maybe you shouldn't take. <laughs> maybe you shouldn't take that one, no. <laughs> maybe you dropped your keys and now those are in the deep dream. <laughs> Reminds me of the uh, the memes that came out after the most recent It movie came out. Yes. <laughs> it's like, we got uh, Pennywise. Hey, there's stuff down here. <laughs> yeah. the, the end of the write-up for this Slua tunnel realm kind of annoys me because it's like, you know, it's the perfect home for Slua. And then it's haunted, of all things, by a chimerical ghost. This ghost is relatively harmless. And I'm thinking, <laughs> we're in the deep dreaming. Give me something a little bit more than that. Oh. Yeah. Even maybe just like a real ghost that's been right. stuck there and is really messed exactly, up right now. Yeah. Like even that would have... yeah, yeah, or, you know, get some specters to haunt the hallways or something. It would have been mm-hmm. yeah. more interesting. Uh, yeah, I think this is this even more just hits. Okay, I'm sticking the, the home realm than the far dreaming when I run. Yep. Uh, then we get to Balloon. Balloon. <laughs> it's the best one. Do you want to cover this one, Puka? Or... I absolutely do. <laughs> <laughs> 
So Balloon, it's the Puka realm, and there are lots of dirigibles and flying airships flying around, carrying deadly pie bombs and high-explosive self-bottles. other Puka realm. Yes, but... You get two realms in this book. <laughs> damn straight. Technically three. <laughs> so then it's it's full of riddles and booby traps and things, and it's run by a communist collective because of course it is, but it also resembles 18th century France because that was when balloons became a thing. There's a balloon armory and a place called the Toy Room. That's a combination meeting hall and laboratory. That's a cake. It's a bir- It's a stale yeah, birthday cake. A literal cake. cake. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Also that. <laughs> and then a sort of separate sub-realm called the Fun House, which looks like an abandoned carnival run by this bedlamed puka named Josiah and his merry pranksters who turn out to be beasties. And there's just so much potential here, and I love it. I really like how Funhouse came about because these are these are realms that were created not recently, but in the grand scheme of the dreaming, fairly recently. Yeah. So the founder, the people who established these realms, are still around, presumably. Yeah. And Funhouse became got into existence when the founder of Balloon, the, the changeling responsible for Balloon existing, fell to Bedlam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that ended up twisting his realm and, and creating Funhouse. It actually reminds me of an episode of Batman, the animated series where like the Joker's running an abandoned <laughs> carnival or like something like that. Okay. That's well, which is also, yeah. which is also the killing joke. Like, the okay. Yeah. Famous. Right. That's which, mm-hmm. which I'm sure they couldn't adapt for the show aimed at children. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> I did like the guardian of balloon being a sphinx yeah. that tells riddles, and the way you answer the ri- the riddles correctly is to just lie through your teeth with with utter confidence. <laughs> and you can't copy other people's answers either. It's got to be your own lies. <laughs> it's interesting you brought up the the funhouse thing, like because I hadn't thought of that before. If this entire home realms experiment was carried out a few hundred years ago. The notion of like a modern carnival in, in the way that it's represented here postdates that. So there must be some kind of subconscious or otherwise communication between the ideas of dreamers and this realm, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, there there are there have been for one thing. I think there's been more changelings showing up there, especially since the resurgence. Yeah, they, they, it, it, these places are populated by changelings, so they, there's got to be some yeah. sort of immigration of changelings happening (laughs) well in the dreaming changelings don't age but that's true that's true but but when but the description of how these uh these realms got established it didn't i didn't get the impression that it was like a city full of changelings doing this it was like a handful of people yeah and so this this has to have been populated after the fact um and being sustained after the fact somehow they mention in the tunnel section that there are fewer than 40 slua here at any time. So presumably they come and go mm-hmm. a little more frequently. So that's chapter four. Okay. Um, <laughs> what do we think? I think it's a great uh, thing to get ideas from and then take those ideas and then do something with them mm-hmm. and flesh those out. Yes. I ran a chronicle that was that existed because I got uh, inspired uh, by the uh, the splintered mountains and the Kuriksara, mm. the killing fields. It just fired my brain so much when I read about them that I, I had to do something with them. 
yeah, the one time I did something with the deep dreaming, we just kind of riffed it. <laughs> it's like, this is just ideas to doing that, I think. Yeah. It strikes me as the kind of thing that, you know, you you could run a chronicle or at least a, an extended story that's all about going to one of these realms, exploring one of these realms, getting back from one of these realms, and that would just take up the entire space. Like, you couldn't just say, okay, this session we're all going to go to Kuriksara or something. <laughs> like, we're just going to hop on over there. I don't think it yeah. would... Which which is the way the the book seems to present these realms. as exactly. places for yeah, you to yeah, go yeah. to and explore and have your thing and then come back or whatever. In the Chronicle I ran, though, it was... I, I, I did it a bit more the way I wish this book did it. It had the stuff from the Splintered Mountains and Kuriksara uh, intruding onto the PCs and, and oh, making no. it the PCs business. Um, and so uh, stuff from there ended up threatening the Autumn Realm. And so they, they ended up having to take their issues there directly um, to deal with it. That's it. I think it also could use this both ways. But like, like you're going to somewhere in the Deep Dreaming and you're going along the silver path, you found one of the few ones that go through this, you could take a bunch of these realms with their small descriptions, and it's like, uh, it, it is just a place you walk through uh, while you're staying on the silver path and not getting involved in, but it has enough that you could describe things and just like be like, wow, where am I now? <laughs> like, I just feel like it would be a disservice to have it be like a throwaway like that. I mean, in the sense that... Well, not everything. Yeah. I just feel like there's so much to dig into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I did that with one of the realms in there. I forget the name of it, but it's this one where there's all these cute kids, but they're they're just superficially cute. They're actually cannibals or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so they were going through the dream. They were traveling to, through the dreaming to get to their destination, and they ended up going through this realm. And they were approached by all these cute kids. And one of the characters is like, "Oh, they're so cute. We need to stay here with them and, and you know do stuff with them." And the rest of the PCs were like, "Nope, <laughs> nope. We are out of here. We are gone. They are too cute to be to be friendly. They are too too yep. sweet to be healthy to us. We are we are out." <laughs> well, what I would recommend is like you pick one of these realms, and, or this one of these realms is the destination of the PCs, right? But then like throw in what five other of them that's here as places you go to before you get to where you're going. Yeah. It's like one session going through it on Silver Path. And and give the idea like, yeah, there really are countless other places just to give this depth of it. But then also, yeah, zoom in somewhere and talk about and, and go there. I guess you yeah. you could. I personally wouldn't want to. <laughs> like I couldn't I couldn't have <laughs> balloon occupy only one session. I don't mean balloon specifically. But <laughs> okay, there's a lot of them. Well, I mean, for you, it wouldn't be one session, but for other troops, it might be. Like, it could be yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. A, an interesting diversion, depending on the chronicle that's being run. You know? Oh, I don't even mean it, a full session on these realms. Mm-hmm. Like, you could have five realms in a full in a session that oh, you yeah. wander through, and or things you saw in the distance, or things that you, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, my children cannibals were less than a session. They were like just. Just a, I introduced the super cute kids and the players were like, no, no, we are out. We are not staying for this. <laughs> but, but stuff like that's fun because it adds spice to your travels. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, speaking of travels, we get to chapter five. Hearth and Highway. This is a weird chapter for in a weird book. <laughs> for some reason, we get an in-character narrator for... I'm not sure why. Yeah. Professor Humnus T.E. Hardnox 51. And and it, and he seems to only be for half this chapter. 
Yeah, it's <laughs> only for the, the freehold part of the chapter. We get a separate narrator for the Trod section. <laughs> oh, I thought it was the same one. Oh, okay. No, or at least I didn't get the impression it was the same one. This one is, this one, yeah. the voice sounded different to me. Like this guy is so, a professor lecturing his students, uh, who he presumes are she and everything, about how they are going to maintain their freeholds. See, see, I had thought the whole thing was narrated by one puka. And at one point he says he's an Ishu, and I'm like, that's that's too blatant to lie for a puka. And... <laughs> <laughs> that... that, that... That would be a great reading of this chapter. <laughs> yeah, this is tangential to the the dreaming and pretty much the rest of this book. Something that I had commented when we spoke about this before is that I was surprised that this was chapter five, because it seems to me like, because the chapter is about freeholds and trods, if you're running a chronicle or, or session or whatever that's going to be entering the dreaming, that strikes me as the point at which you should start rather than after you get through all the dreaming stuff in all the mm-hmm. realms. Yeah, this, this chapter feels more like it belongs as an appendix than an mm-hmm. actual chapter, because it's so mm-hmm. it's tangential to the real subject matter of the book. Or an introduction. Or an introduction, yeah. That would work, too. Yeah. I think we should let the Fertilis, like, uh, come through and, like, reshape <laughs> yes. the chapters in this book. Adobe Fearless. So, okay. so it starts out with talking about freeholds. And it doesn't have a whole lot to say on freeholds, really. Yeah. It goes into the affinities of the freeholds, and it's and it just felt like an odd choice to me to have the freeholds based around the realms, especially when it goes through and calls out some of the realms in particular as just not being suitable for freeholds, uh, or suit well-suited yeah. for freeholds. This whole thing reads to me like, rather than being an objective system, first of all, in character... This is like one person's paradigm yeah. of like yeah, one yeah. phase paradigm of freeholds. Yeah. Also, he missed, totally missed out the time affinity. Yeah, the, the, the time realm is conspicuous in its absence. Well, so mm-hmm. I was trying to remember, was there the concept of freehold affinities somewhere in first edition, like in freeholds and hidden glens or elsewhere before time was its own realm? Because if they just kind of imported that and added narrative padding oh Oh, i'm pretty sure this is unique yeah (laughs) i I am too i don't think this i don't think this came up in freehold and hidden glens and until this chapter that was the most changeling got (laughs) as a as a how to use a freehold book so yeah that's fair there are little interesting sidebars of various yes little blurbs (laughs) about freeholds which is kind of neat yeah, the sidebars uh, struck me as, as odd, too, because not all of them, but a significant number of them were more about the changelings who live in the freehold than the freehold itself, mm. mm-hmm. which it would have been nice to have, I think, more illustration of freeholds with some of these sidebars. And some of them, I'm not sure, are actually freeholds. Like the tree? The tree. The tr- and interestingly enough, I thought that the tree was the most interesting thing in this chapter. <laughs> or oh, I think it's this... interesting. I just didn't know it was. I didn't really feel like a freehold it, to me. It does. I, I think it's meant to be a glade. Oh, okay. Covered in bells. I liked the rainstorm's edge, where it says this transient phenomenon occurs at the precise boundary of all rainstorms, and like I don't know, it doesn't really give much more detail than that. But I like that as some kind of magical space. 
it says sky magics and seemings are rejuvenated here. And like, that's a very evocative kind of uh, detail. Mm-hmm. That one is cool, but it felt more like trods than freeholds to me. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, and then we, then we transition into some trods. Well, that was in the, the trod section. Yeah. Oh, we're, we're yeah. transitioning. I'm yeah. following now. Yes. Right. <laughs> in between that, they have a weird sidebar about how you can become a lost one too. Uh-huh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, it, it tells you, and it and it doesn't treat it as something that you would want to avoid either. It's like, yes, this this is a way to become powerful. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and learn it from the nymphs. Going back to our theme, Puka, of trying to figure out what the heck the nymphs are supposed to be. They come back here. I've added it to the list. So, <laughs> Kissbook Nymph will arrive. <laughs> So I want to point to my favorite part of the chapter, really the only part of the chapter that I really like, which is that we get a specific Wayfarer's Escheat, which consists of the following Mm -hmm. six Mm -hmm. directives, I suppose you'd call them. Stay on the path. Never retrace your steps. Journeys are different from trips. Journeys have shapes. Remember your destination and time disappears on the road. And this is something that I can see like working into a game narratively and having like you know, the issue, abide by it and instruct travelers about it and everything. And, you know, the code of the trod rather than the code of the freehold, I think is an interesting um, mm-hmm. notion. It is. And and one of the things that I think is really neat about it is it's so punchy and to the point and, and really gets what it, it does what it's trying to do so well mm-hmm. that this is one of the things in the book that stuck with me about this book ever since I first read it uh, back yeah. in, you know, the late 90s. And it has come up in pretty much every game I've, I've ever mm. run or played in that has dealt with travel through the dreaming. Those rules of how you travel through the dreaming uh, are always something that's been used. And it's interesting to me that it seems to come up with everybody who's read this book. They, they follow it without even thinking about it. Well, I think it's because it's an idea that has, it immediately demonstrates filling a gap in the lore and it it connects so easily to something that does already exist. So it's, yes, <laughs> we have uh, a couple other notes on trods. I like the trods part better than the freeholds part because they do say things like, oh, okay, scrying destinations, subverting locks and getting around barriers, finding shortcuts. So it is nice to kind of have, um, even though it's still this weird semi-in-character voice, it's nice to have this kind of description of, okay, here's how changelings deal with all of the stuff you're going to find on a trot. I think that's useful both as a storyteller and a player. Yes. I also, just as a little sidebar, I, I do like how how personally offended the, uh, the narrator <laughs> is by closed doors. <laughs> yes. <laughs> how dare they how dare they <laughs> I, lo- I actually like the little thing on Orpheo's path I, I do like that too <laughs> if you can get if you get little eggshells you can make like a fake silver uh-huh. path if you can just walk on them without crunching them do not crunch them <laughs> it's very Portable bad yeah. for the extra nimble yeah some of these some of these little cool sidebars are wonderful <laughs> I actually did have a PC a player use that in a game I was running. Oh, nice! <laughs> and also the Murphy tunnels, the secret network of trods that are contained within folded up Murphy beds. And the Murphy Corporation is run by knockers. Knockers, yeah. I, was, <laughs> I I had forgotten about that 
bit entirely, and I was just dying laughing when I was reading that sidebar. Yeah. <laughs> it was so great. It reminded me of that <laughs> that scene in The Great Muppet Caper when they're all sitting on a Murphy bed, and then they all fly up into the wall together. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I did get so confused by the little section on the Silver Road. Yeah. And talking about how the silver winds its way. To, I'm like, is this not the silver path? Is this some other thing? Like, what is this talking about? Yeah, it is interesting because it's it's like whoever wrote that section didn't really talk to anyone else. <laughs> well, <laughs> or read other stuff. Like, it's just, yeah. But but I think that they they might have been intending it as the origin of this of the silver path, but uh, but that's not really what it ended up being. Mm. One other note that I think is quite interesting in uh, the other sidebar on this page, the San Buenaventura, which is the lost dream river, dream river of Western Concordia. There's a note at the bottom where. It says, Dabeth, out of spite, cursed it shortly after the retreat of the Rocky Mountain Columbine Kingdom. And I had never thought about, like, before the Shi came back and set up the kingdoms of Concordia that are currently known, were there other commoner kingdoms that we just never hear about, like this one? Mm-hmm. I think some of them would have not been called kingdoms, but yes. Yeah, yeah definitely yeah, yeah. were places. Well, it, uh, I think some of the books do make a... A, a big deal about how changelings are just tend to gravitate towards the uh, towards the title and the and the pomp and circumstance, so that yep. so that even even in the absence of the she, you still have changelings trying to fill out that role of the the king and the mm-hmm. queen and and the dukes and everything like that. Yeah, but they also probably made empires and uh-huh. republics and sure. stranger things. Yep, mm-hmm. as long as it's pomp and circumstance. Yes. And grand, so. <laughs> yes. Oh, and one other piece is that with the Silver Road, they mention that the presence of silver, with that capital S, indicates that your journey will follow all the rules of Don and the story, again, capital S. So if that's what the silver in the silver path is, ontologically, you know, it's fate and story, what does that imply about the nature of the dreaming, and then by extension, the nature of anything not on the silver path? Just food for thought. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I, w- I was thinking earlier, like some some discussion, I, didn't, I was just sort of thinking, it was my thought spun off of the conversation about lost versus dreaming and stuff. And it, it got me thinking, like, the dreaming contains story, but it's not just stories and narrative. There's other things that do not really follow a narrative structure, things that follow a dream structure, things that follow stranger structures, or any, if you can say they have a structure. But you could say maybe the Arcadian dream or the silver path and stuff is you know a hero's journey it is a narrative imposed on the wider dreaming that notion of imposition is an interesting one too well you you can kind of get into the the nature of the human collective unconsciousness is the driving force of the dreaming currently and and what do humans like to do we like to impose narrative on things yeah, yeah, um, yeah. so anything that is random we tend to ascribe stories and cause and effect to it it's the kind of thing i feel like this book has lots of really deep commentary on changeling as a setting but the pieces are so buried and in some cases so quickly moved on from that you really have to like work to connect them into something useful 
And that's me transitioning mm-hmm. into talking about this book as a whole. What did you think of the book as a whole? <laughs> this is both when, if you're running a game of C20, this and like Enchanted mm. to me are the two most important books from before C20 to have because the, a lot of the other things are still kept. These are, this is a very good book to have. And at the same time, it's a hot mess. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I love it, but I can't, it, it sort of, I think it epitomizes where I thought about Changeling, especially before C20 came out of, it's the game I love, but I had trouble saying that I like it. You, you can't just take this book and go, oh, this is the setting book for the dreaming. No, you, you can't do that but it can be a great inspiration for running games in the dreaming, but you have to do a lot of heavy lifting as a storyteller. And as a player, just don't expect it as canonical either. Even if your character would, even if your character should know what's in the dreaming that it's covering, don't assume this is what's happening in the, because even if both you and the storyteller are trying to do yeah, that, you can't really stop and think about it. Yeah. Cause if both you and the storyteller both read this book and are treating it canonical, you're going to have very different interpretations. So yeah, yeah, I would definitely echo all of that. Um, this is an indispensable book. Um, it is uh, one that has uh, inspired whole chronicles. But yes, it 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 takes some effort. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it takes effort on the part of the storyteller. It takes effort on the part of the player. It comes so close to being just wonderful, and and it is wonderful in in places. It just. It's full of it wonder. It is full of wonder, yes. World of wonders. It is, it is full of wonder. <laughs> yes. That, that's a good description. Such as, how was this edited properly? <laughs> that's one of the wonders. Was it even? <laughs> Makes you wonder, too. Well, so kind of spinning off that more generally, I mean, whether or not you use this book, do, you, do either of you have particular strategies that you would, I guess, recommend to listeners for setting up a chronicle in the dreaming like what are the specific things that you have to attend to Ooh, that's a good question um one of the things that i do using this book for a guide to the dreaming is to to not necessarily worry about the details of this book but mm. use the the contours to describe the dreaming so if you get your, your if you, you can't get too bogged down in all the dream realms and everything like that because if you try and make a map of the dreaming using this book <laughs> you're, it, you're just going to waste your effort. <laughs> well, it explicitly <laughs> says in many times and explains why you can't make a map of the dreaming. <laughs> you cannot make a map of the dreaming, and you can't include all the dream realms in here, and you wouldn't want to. Uh, what you'd want to do is take these as some inspiration to really make the dreaming yours and really make it fit the chronicle and whatever story you're wanting to tell with the dreaming, because that's what the dreaming is. It's stories. And those stories should be yours. They shouldn't be this book's. For me, for running a game, the thing to keep in mind with or without this book is how I think of the dreaming as if you're going in the dreaming, and I don't mean like you're going in a freehold and you're like hanging out in the back garden, but if you're actually traveling in the dreaming, traveling should be part of the story. Um, moving along the trod should be a story. Getting off the trod should be like, they should be terrified of getting off the trod and getting lost. And it should be a bunch of things happening as you're going through. Like, don't plan, oh, we're going to spend, I don't think you should, unless you're maybe going from two near points in the near dreaming, have the same session be where you enter the dreaming and where you arrive at your destination in the dreaming. You need like a travel adventure with these series of places and challenges and things that happen and, and it's the kind of thing where, like, I, I'm not big on planning ahead for 
a lot of things, but like, no, I'd plan that yeah. out. I, I will just do an aside here real quick because of what you said. I, I was running a Changeling game years ago and some people, the players decided that they needed to go in the dreaming right then. Oh no. They, they decided yeah. that, that the only solution to the problem was to go into the dreaming and they, they, they came up with a good way to do it. And so they did. And as soon as they did, I was like, okay, we're going to have to break the session here. Because I need to figure out this, because the dreaming isn't just something that you go into lightly, uh, either as a player or as a storyteller. Yeah, the only exception be specific exceptions for sometimes in the near dreaming only. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, but yeah. If, even if, it, then, if it's the local dreaming right around your local freehold, then then that can be fairly like, well known. But or like I had a, I ran a LARP when I was playing in a LARP. I don't know, I can't remember if I was running or playing in it. Anyway, there was like a issue who was both like very experienced and had a bunch of dream craft in. Okay, fine. Within the LARP session, they had traveled from one location to another and showed up like mid session. <laughs> like they'd gone off and then come back, like gone off for an hour and then come back. Like, like I think it takes that kind of thing to be, but yeah, general, yeah, it should be plan out the whole travel story from going somewhere in the dreaming with lots of with a bunch of different places that you're going through i almost feel like it's not a bad idea to almost have like a mini session zero kind of like you were saying charlie about breaking from one session to the next and not just i mean because the players may have read everything there is about the dreaming you might know it inside out as a storyteller but i think every dreaming jaunt not even every table's version of the dreaming like every time they go in it can and maybe should be different so it's important to set expectations Mm -hmm. outside of the game and then confound the expectations inside of the game and kind of figure out how to navigate that so like if you're a player you'll want to know what the stakes are like okay we're going to the dreaming how likely am i to die or find a treasure or whatever but then your character you have to hash out what your character thinks about the dreaming and then the storyteller's role is to decide how much of that they want to overturn because with the dreaming you can overturn as much of it as you want you know but it has to be i feel at the character level and the players really need something solid to cling to yes yeah i do want to say one thing as a teaser for a future fairly far in the future episode i think a very useful book to help run games in the dreaming is the first edition exalted book the fair folk talking about traveling through the wild Mm. i will get into that later but i think that has actually a good way to structure traveling through the dreaming from like a somewhere between a narrative it's like a narrative geography structure and and i think that can actually help a lot with your dreaming games even though it's a different game. It was originally conceived of as a prequel, even though it went on different directions when it was published. Yeah, but, but they still included all the Easter eggs for the World of Darkness. Uh, yeah. So. And it basically turned into, like, I think it's traveling trods through the dreaming to get from, to destination, actually has, with waypoints and whatever the word was for connect, connecting between waypoints, I think actually does have a good, has some good advice in there for dreaming chronicles. That makes me think just in, in terms of books that might be useful. Invisible Cities by Italo Calvino is something that I always think of in relation to dreaming games, where it's just these short vignettes about these really fantastical cities that don't actually exist. And then um, some of the work by the Japanese poet Basho kind of reminds me when you're saying narrative geography, that's what I think of with these sort of 
descriptions of places that they are places along a road, but the way that he describes them and kind of intermixes them with haiku, the feel is much more important than like trying to pinpoint these on a map, you know? So I like that a lot. The teaser that I wanted to say, Charlie, is there anything that you are working on lately that you would like to share about, which may or may not be relevant to this discussion? Well, surprisingly that you mentioned it, uh, <laughs> yes, there is. Radio Free Arcadia is working on a C20 compatible uh, source book for the Dreaming. Mm. Yeah. The idea is not to supplant Dreams and Nightmares. It's intended as a companion piece. It doesn't just address the shortcomings uh, in Dreams and Nightmares, but that is that is part of what it does. Uh, it also takes a different look into what the dreaming is than Dreams and Nightmares does. It's a lot more about the story potential of the dreaming and how changelings and mortals alike both exist in relationship to it and how you can tell stories based on based around that, about how mortals uh, feed the dreaming and how the dreaming feeds mortals and changelings the same way. How do they, what's their relationship to it? Because they were once the rulers of dream and now they're uh, not. <laughs> and what does that mean for them? I called this a teaser because I hope that when it is released, you will be able to come back to talk about it some, some more. I would love to. Right now, I have gotten all of the first drafts back except for one. So uh, it is coming along mm -hmm. nicely. So hopefully it won't be too much longer. <laughs> so yeah, is there anything else you have recently come out with? or The, the most recent thing that I... That been released that I did was uh, Glamour's Chosen for uh, 7th C, released through Explorers Society. Oh. It is a look at playing the fair folk and using Glamour in the 7th C setting. <laughs> oh. ah. In general, if people were interested in that or other of your work, are there places they can find you around the interwebs? I am Charlie Cantrell on Facebook. Uh, Radio Free Arcadia also has a page on Facebook. I am Puka Knight, just about everywhere else. Uh, you'll see me on on Discord with some regularity. I have a Twitter account that is Puka Knight, but it is rarely used these days. Right on. <laughs> okay. Thanks for being here again, Charlie, and we're looking forward to Thank having you. you it's again. always a pleasure. Uh, you can find us our website, changelingthepodcast.com. You can find our Discord, discord.me slash ctp. You can find our Facebook page, Changeling the Podcast. You can email us, podcast at changelingthepodcast.com. You can send us a toot, changelingpod at dice.camp. That's our uh, Mastodon. All links will be in the show notes. And uh, yeah, so once again, uh, I'm Josh. People say that I remain Puka. And uh, yeah, don't try to eat those crab people. The heron ladies won't be happy. And remember, when in doubt, the answer is always balloon. Fey onurologists have hypothesized that outside the dreaming, it's just more dreamings all the way down. At the same time, they acknowledge that down is a word that has particularly little meaning when talking about the spatial relationships between dreamings, and that better direction words might include outwards, other up, wittershins, or balloon, because if any direction you're going in the dreaming is not turned towards the realm of balloon, then what is the point of your even being there in the first place? 
to help us continue asking important rhetorical questions like this one, as well as bringing you Changeling the Dreaming content week after week until the green quartz sloughs off its shiny membrane and rises again, we welcome your support for our podcast by leaving your review on the listening platform of your greatest convenience. You can also sign up for our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash changelingthepodcast and join the esteemed ranks of folks who get a shout-out at the end of each episode. They include Derek, Dorkadas, Jason Vines, Oreo, Raskabuz, Sanchegger, Sija, and Terry Robinson. Feel free to stop by our Discord at www.discord.me slash ctp to hang out and chat about all things fey and fabulous. Thanks for your ears, and until next time, keep on dreaming.